This is an RNZ podcast. One day we're going to know exactly what's going on in Xinjiang, aren't we? And when you're uh, a kuia talking to your great-great-great-grand Mokopuna about being the first Wahine Māori foreign affairs minister, are you going to have any regrets? Are you confident that you're on the right side of history? That was News Hub political editor Tover O'Brien on the News Hub Nation show the weekend before last, putting the foreign minister Nanaia Mahuta right on the spot over the situation in Xinjiang in China's northwest. And that was a pretty tough question, given that no one quite knows how this will go down in history just yet, let alone what your own relatives might make of it. I'm confident that when my kids and their kids look at the things that I've done, I've done it to the best of my ability as an Indigenous Māori woman, but also for the benefit of the country, and it is not easy. And not easy is an understatement. China is extremely sensitive about what other countries say and do about this humanitarian issue. And in recent days, the relationship has been distinctly uneasy between the Tanifa and the Dragon, as some media have cast it. Our Five Eyes allies, Australia, Canada, the US and the UK, have all taken a tougher line lately in their relations with China. Just the day before Tova O'Brien put Nanaia Mahuta on the spot on News Hub Nation, MPs in the UK voted in the House of Commons to declare the treatment of Uyghur Muslims in China as genocide. Now, last Wednesday, our parliament was due to debate whether to do the same. But in the end, all parties agreed to express grave concern over serious human rights abuses. There was no mention of genocide. However, the media have been asking that of politicians. Tober O'Brien put it to Nanaia Mahuta like this a fortnight ago in that interview. You talk about our independent foreign policy a lot, so what are we going to do? Yeah, well, look, we, the last time we designated a, uh, a, an act of genocide uh, prior to the Genocide Convention Act of 1948 was the Holocaust, uh, and then we uh, labelled both Cambodia and Rwanda as acts of genocide. Look, uh, I'm willing to uh, get information about uh, what what we could do. So we're actively uh, in this, considering recognising in genocide I'm, I'm, I'm open to uh, getting uh, advice about this issue. And the Foreign Minister has been getting plenty of advice on that lately. The day before that debate in Parliament, for example, a group of Uyghur people living in New Zealand urged MPs to declare China's actions as genocide. On Morning Report, that request came from a lawyer, Sam Vincent, who said that New Zealand-based Uyghurs were too afraid to speak out themselves. Now, you're speaking to us, is it that they are too frightened that they don't want to be identified even within this country? Um, Yes, it is. They're they're terrified of, of publicly speaking up. But speaking up at the China Business Summit in Auckland just the day before, China's ambassador to New Zealand, Wu Ji, said that claims of genocide and forced labour in Xinjiang were lies fabricated by anti-China forces. And she made this warning. We hope that the New Zealand side could hold an objective and a just position, abide by international law, and not to interfere in China's internal affairs, so as to maintain the sound development of our bilateral relations. But with claims and counterclaims playing out via the media like that, part of the problem for our understanding is there are a few foreign reporters remaining in China itself to tell us what's going on. In the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age newspapers this week, their correspondent Eric Bagshaw, who has to cover China from Singapore, said that limiting media access to China was now having the desired effect. He said monitoring of a year's worth of Australian mainstream media coverage of China proved the cut-through the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda was getting. 
A single inflammatory tweet from a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman accusing Australia of war crimes received more prominent coverage in two weeks than Xinjiang received in six months. Eric Bagshaw said that China's state-run tabloid The Global Times was now quoted more frequently across Australian media than Xi Jinping or any member of the Chinese embassy. And trade, he said, received three times more coverage than national security concern and 12 times more coverage than human rights issues. On 9 to noon last Tuesday, an Australian expert in China's northwest, Dr David Brophy at the University of Sydney, said that while China once tried to simply deny any suppression of ethnic groups within its borders, now it was briefing foreign media with its side of the story on Xinjiang. And one such briefing was held last month at the Chinese embassy in Canberra. I was actually invited to the briefing in Australia, but I, I didn't think it was the kind of exercise that I wanted to personally dignify by, by attending because these are standard propaganda presentations. Um, I've seen a little bit of the video that, they were being presented with and it was um, happy singing and dancing ethnic minorities um, fair that you're, you're likely to be fed with in these, these kinds of situations. You have then personal testimony from people um, who, who are um, it's very difficult to say exactly how they've ended up in that position to, um, to, to testify about their situations or you know, what sort of pressure might have been applied to them so no I don't think that um, these, uh, these performances have been um, particularly persuasive. They are going through the motions and there's clearly, clearly been instructions that this needs to be done. And on Friday last week, there was a similar briefing here for invited media. But this one was an online presentation hosted by the Embassy of the People's Republic of China in Wellington. Now, Media Watch wasn't on that list, but Paula Penfold from the Stuff Circuit team was. Last month, Stuff published their multimedia investigation called Deleted, which was all about Xinjiang, the Uyghurs, and links back to New Zealand business and politics. And after the briefing, Paula Penfold said on social media... Never in my career have I witnessed a press conference anything like this. It was absolutely extraordinary to the point of farce. Now, also invited to take part in that event was Stuff political reporter Thomas Manch. So did he feel the same way? I haven't been involved in press conferences like that before. Um, I mean, no, you went in with some expectation knowing what had happened in Australia. But, but yeah, it was, it was certainly very, very unusual. But how did this event come about? Did you just suddenly receive an invitation out of the blue? Because it wasn't an invite-only event, wasn't it, for some journalists and, uh, and experts? Um, and a lot of journalists, and myself included, knew absolutely nothing about it until it happened. Yeah, so I, I mean, I went back through my emails, and um, the first email I got was on the 19th of April. So I think it came, it came before we knew that the parliamentary motion was going to occur or come up. But um, I, yeah, it was just an email out of the blue from a spokesperson for the embassy who I deal with over email, though it came from a different email address than the one he conventionally uses. Um, they said, you know, great that you've expressed an interest in attending. Do you have any questions you'd like to put on the record first or, like, you know, um, advise them of early beforehand? And then there were subsequent emails after that just making sure that we would we would show up. And I was kind of aware that a few other journalists I knew, like I'd spoken to Paula, were, were invited, but I wasn't sure how broad it was going to be. And did it feel to you like um, something that had been kind of ordered from the top, something that wasn't really a news event, but something that for kind of diplomatic purposes, you know, had been arranged? Yeah, I, I do wonder that because, I mean, realistically, what could the Chinese embassy here expect the outcome to be? 
they've had similar experiences overseas in terms of and and the sort of the flow on media reports from it, um, noting how unusual it is and and how the information didn't really directly address the question at hand, um, which is the um, you know the abuse of the Uyghur people. But I, I do wonder if it was more a diplomatic effort. The, New, the embassy in New Zealand thought, given where the situation is at now, this is our time to do this. You know, this is one of the tools we have in our playbook. Was there anything to be learned by you know the presentations that were there and and whatever say the ambassador and other speakers had to say about the situation? I mean, I'm inclined to say not really. The um, you know, the, a lot of information was conveyed. Um, you know, how many, you know, what the sort of the GDP and the the poverty level in um, Xinjiang, how that's changed, and you know, how much rail line there are now, and um, you know, there's a there's a lot of information in there. But it was it it did really feel like you know the performative the the lines we hear from. Chinese um, foreign foreign um, service spokespeople, you know, commonly. So, I yeah, I I personally didn't go in thinking we might learn anything new. Afterwards, I also had to ask the question: actually, is this worth reporting on because of the content of it and because the news value was questionable? But the fact that it occurred, I thought, well, gosh, we'd better report that. In the background to all this is. Last year we saw the last two Australian journalists, for example, were reporting for Australian news media outlets anyhow, had to leave the country, um, so there are none now. So do you think this is part of a strategy which is, you know, we're not getting messages from reporters uh, based in China so much, it's going to be messages that are tailored <clears throat> through various channels, and this might be one of them, online briefings uh, for journalists and experts uh, in, in different countries around the world? No, certainly. I mean, it seems like one of the few opportunities that we have to interact directly with China in general. I mean, we um, even in New Zealand, it's I think it's a little bit different from the experience in, in Australia and the like. You know, obviously these journalists can, can no longer be in the country, but they do have more direct face-to-face contact with with the with the bureaucrats in their countries. Whereas our embassy even is is more remote. Like it's very unlikely that you'll ever get an interview with um, the ambassador to New Zealand. So what opportunities did you or others who took part in it, whether they were journalists or academics or commentators, to actually ask questions of um, people that matter, like, for example, um, the ambassador, who I, I gather was, was part of the, the uh, broadcast, if I could call it that? I was reluctant, given how I expected the event would go, and also my colleague Paula um, asked a, a, a series of questions, and a lot of them were around, why won't you let people into Xinjiang? Why won't you let the UN into Xinjiang? Why wouldn't you let journalists? Why can't we... Why, why must we receive information this way or interact with suppo- people who are supposedly from Xinjiang this way? That was the main tenor of it. Same same questions from Jerry Brownlee. Same questions, in some respect, from Jason Young, an academic. Um, and the response generally was, oh, the door is always open. But, of course, we would never do that because that would impinge on our sovereignty. Yeah, so not quite, not quite an open door in, in that regard, absolutely. But uh, there was a fascinating quote in your piece, uh, quoting Jerry Brownlee, who's the National Party's foreign affairs spokesperson. Um, he said, with all due respect to the speaker that has just finished, you quote him as saying, uh, you welcome people, you welcome journalists to come in, but it's caveated, says Jerry Brownlee, with what looks like heavy restrictions. For us, this is a very strange position. The effort appears to be nothing to see here, move on, when in our culture, at least, it means there actually is something to see. Is it actually helpful for Chinese authorities having organised this outreach, if you could call it that, with New Zealand media, to hear something like that, to hear a senior politician say, look, actually, I don't find this at all convincing, and, uh, you know, journalists clearly aren't free to come in and report from that region or, or your country? 
I don't know if it's helpful for them. Um, I think it's helpful for New Zealand because that's New Zealand's perspective, you know, and the government's the government's view on this is that is that, you know, there should be unfettered access um, to, to the region to establish what is happening. So I think, I mean, I think that's from, to hear that from an opposition spokesperson is probably is probably quite useful too. It, it shows a degree of consensus um, in New Zealand about what should occur. Whether it tangibly makes a difference, I'm, I'm doubtful. And what about others who might have taken part in this event? I mean, you mentioned um, yourself, a couple of other journalists. For example, there was also, your piece mentions David Mann, who's a New Zealander who does business in China, but also writes uh, columns, opinion columns for um, the New Zealand Listener magazine, uh, interest.co.nz, for example, where he's, he's been arguing recently that New Zealand has to act in its own best interests. Um, you know, so uh, clearly not coincidental that he was one of the ones, I guess, picked um, by the organisers of this event. Yeah, I found that really fascinating. Him and I think it was Dave Bromwich from the New Zealand China Friendship Association or some some organisation with such a similar name. They the the questions were clearly you know they prepared them beforehand. There were reflections on their own experiences of travelling in the region. Um, I don't know how like the, their reflections didn't seem to maybe be as recent as you know some of the the more concerning and credible allegations coming out of the region now. But um, but yeah, they were they you know in in Parliament we would refer to those as sort of patsy questions. It was quite an interesting contrast because that's not a voice you often hear in the discussion in New Zealand now. In the course of covering this or, or you know, any, any other stories about politics and diplomacy with China, have Chinese authorities or the embassy here um, or the allies maybe sort of reached out to you, tried to lobby you or um, have an input into your reporting or understanding of the issues until this, this particular event you were invited to take part in? No, not 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 really at all. Um, I mean, I've heard of previous in previous years um, journalists being invited to events with the ambassador or sort of like exhibitions that that are similar in nature to this. Receive my interaction with them has been relatively limited. I mean, in the last eighteen months, I've been in this job and been interested in the issue. I've been contacting the embassy relatively regularly, asking for responses, questions, primarily interviews. Um, I've never received an interview. I've never met the ambassador as yet. Um, it's always such requests are always passed on, and often you might seek something, and two days later a statement will be received in return. Um, so, so no, I mean, nothing, nothing anything more than that. It'd be interesting to see if if this briefing does is the, the beginning of a new pattern. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, what would actually help uh, if, if, you know, as you say, you're not the only journalist that's had difficulty getting either um, prompt or, um, or, or direct responses to specific questions when New Zealand-China relations are the topic of news stories. What would actually help um, uh, and might be more effective other than slightly contrived um, sort of broadcast style online press conferences like this one? Oh, I mean, we always want direct access, don't we? We always want to, to speak to people face-to-face. And I think, I think, you know, I mean, given the COVID era and all, um, the ambassador is the, is the one direct re- representative of the Chinese government in New Zealand. And, and I think more opportunities to interact would, would, be, um, would be useful. Um, whether we would, any, we would gain anything of use out of it is another question. I mean, um, the fairly um, prescribed responses often... And when uh, Dr. Brophy spoke on the Nine to Noon program about um, the same sort of thing happening in Australia in the context of of them trying to reach out to to journalists and experts in in a similar way, he talked about very heavily produced 
uh, or he described them as propaganda videos, painting a very rosy and even colourful uh, picture of Xinjiang. Um, were those sorts of videos part of this presentation that um, you, you and others who'd uh, hooked into this online conference had to watch? Definitely. There are, there are possibly about five. I've, I kind of lost track. Um, they... The videos were they, they struck me as almost like tourism ads, you know, um, sweeping scenes, landscapes, you know, people happy in their in their um, in their employment, etc. It was, it was an advertisement. Well, clearly, Thomas, uh, you were sceptical that you'd get anything of genuine information or uh, newsworthiness out of it um, before uh, signing up for this event. Um, but do you think that um, if there are future ones, you'd be inclined to take part? I think probably would participate again, if only to see what is happening, because you know, and see if there's any shift. I, I mean, it serves a purpose at least in terms of understanding what messages are being sent out. You know, you know what the, what the view is, and you never know what someone might say in an event like that. There might be a message in there that that is significantly different from what we've heard previously. There was stuff political reporter Thomas Manch, one of the New Zealand journalists invited by the Chinese embassy in Wellington to take part in an online briefing about the issue of the Uyghur Muslim minority in the Xinjiang province in northwest China. And this week, political parties in Parliament unanimously expressed grave concern about human rights abuses there. And Stuff's multimedia presentation about New Zealand's links to Xinjiang, deleted, which we mentioned earlier, is on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz.